Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Hello and welcome. This is Heavy Business, and I'm Aaliyah. I'm Curtis. And today we have on series regular Ian Cheney from Stereo Gum. Thank you so much for coming on, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back. Always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you and get your insights on the music scene today. So today we are going to dive into a number of different topics, uh, current events and um, developments in the music scene. First of all, being um, curious your take on the Bandcamp situation, Ian, because I know that that's where you find a lot of artists. So Bandcamp has been sold. Can you, I don't remember who, who were they sold to? Uh, they haven't completed the deal yet. The plan is to flip the company from Epic Games over to Song Trader. Right, right. Okay, so what do you think that means for the ecosystem of Bandcamp? I think it's too early to tell what the effects are going to be on the ecosystem. I think the worst case scenario is that we lose a lot of the talented writers over at daily.bandcamp.com and that was one of the great hubs for a exposing music and b like running fantastic radio shows like the heavy metal radio show that uh, brad sanders done there and i think that's the that's that's the fears it's kind of losing that part of the ecosystem and it, it was such a great place for freelancers to go find work and cut their teeth and uh do interesting and exciting work and uh we'll be in a lot poorer if that's going to be the case. But again, I think it's too soon to tell what's going to be happening when Song Trader eventually takes over. But, you know, as we're reading the tea leaves right now, it's hard not to take on a doomerist point of view with all that, especially with everything else that's been happening in publishing lately. My Why? own opinion is that people yeah. should be getting a big cartel or some sort of website shop as a backup if they don't have one, because a lot of bands only do Bandcamp right now. So well, my I mean, own opinion. Why do we have to do that before, like if nothing happens and like we don't need to do it? Well, just from this is my own opinion, granted here. Like my own opinion is like if you can get something set up for yourself, it's always a good thing just in case. It, something else goes down that's just my own opinion it's like the reason why i have five different social media uh, accounts i assume that's the same reason why you guys do plus have an email list and all the rest of it because if one goes down you still got the four other to keep in touch with people and you know sell our sell our wares so to speak so that's that's my own opinion even if you don't need it i think it's a smart move um i don't know how youtube feel about it but i i personally would figure out a way of selling my physical product on top of everything else, if I'm only depending upon Bandcamp personally, Curtis needs to have that uh, second Twitter for all his not safe for work stuff. So it's a lot of pictures, you know. You know, he's got the OnlyFans going. You need an OnlyFans. Come on. 
Yeah, I mean, you got to diversify, obviously. You got it. You got yeah. It. Yeah. What were you saying about um, the news with uh, what's changing with uh, music publishing that's troublesome? I think it's publishing in general. We're losing a lot of uh, websites to this kind of venture capitalist structure where, you know, everyone's coming into publishing thinking is going to make money. Obviously, publishing isn't geared up to make the kind of money that IT companies want them to make. And so... You see a lot of turnover, a lot of layoffs, and you see what's happening to what's happening with Gawker, the Gawker empire currently, such as like Deadspin, Jezebel, and all those sites where they're moving towards using AI instead of paying writers and so on and so forth. And it just seems like the entire universe of being able to get out there and publish stuff is continually shrinking, and it's unfortunate, you know. I think of the the death of the alt weekly back in the 2000s and now it seems like this is being repeated with all these websites that used to be good outlets for people to learn how to write and it's just too bad that sucks i can't believe that they're doing i mean i can believe that they're doing that but like so they're actually having ai write articles instead of people oh yeah that was a big thing yeah they uh they started rolling that out with uh the AV club recently where AI was writing these SEO optimized articles. and like, here's the hundred best video, uh, hundred best movies that IMDB has ranked and so on and so forth. Just really empty con content to try and fill it out and wring whatever they can out of the advertising bucks without paying anybody to actually write the material. Well, that's, that's depressing. Um, well, I don't know where how to transition from that. Um, but I think that I I hope that like people will be able to tell like the authenticity and will actually be able to distinguish quality human content. And I mean, you see the same issue with art. Um, and you see the same thing, the same thing could be coming from music too, um, which is just, it's super troubling because the whole purpose of art almost isn't just for the consumer, it's for the creator, you know, like people create cause they need to create it's therapy. It's, it's important. And then sharing that experience with other people is important as well. Um, sharing your music with other people is like a way of sharing your journey with other people and then it's like a community experience so i hope that doesn't get taken away from us i don't know i would imagine just as my own my own viewpoint on this is i don't think it'll go too too far because like people always want that human element behind the art like you're saying about how they i can't imagine a computer being able to successfully do that all the time but it's my own two cents yeah, I mean, that's kind of like those par the parasocial relationship that people have with artists that Ian, in the article that you sent me earlier this week, they mentioned that being a, a contributing factor and why it's been a problem. So we can dive into this. Ian, can you talk about, int maybe introduce this article that you sent to me earlier this week about uh, the rotating group and the Bitcoin blockchain fan voting to 
change the members of the group and things, this K-pop model? Sure. Yeah, there was this uh, great article that went up on Defector last a uh, couple months back in August titled Triple S and the Rise of K-Pop Girls Crypto Capitalism. And it was an interesting look into how the K-pop model might be spread throughout the rest of music. And the idea is that, as you said, there is such a strong parasocial relationship with a lot of the idol groups in K-pop right now, where the idea is not just to listen to the music, but also to engage fully with how the groups are structured, to buy all their merch and so on and so forth. So these artists just aren't, you know, regular music artists. Oh, somebody, it almost becomes like a lifestyle brand. And there's some fear on, you know, on how that would infiltrate the, the rest of music because it's like, is this what we want out of art at the end of the day? Is to have this wild, you know, end stage capitalism in infecting music at least that's my takeaway from it i don't know what was what was your takeaway from it well um first of all i don't think that that's quite going to happen with metal because the metal is so based on the authenticity of uh individual experience and it's also so like kind of old school like it doesn't change with the times as much or as quickly but the way that I am kind of seeing this fan, like trying to, basically the thing that I that stuck out to me from the article was the idea of making the fans the producers of the band or making them feel like they're the producers by voting on, specifically in this example, they were saying that fans could vote on like the competing members and they would choose who would join the group basically, ultimately. And while I don't think that would ever kind of manifest itself necessarily, I suppose it could, but what I do see happening is people using Patreon and maybe they will put up two versions of a song and ask their fans to vote on which one they like better, or they'll ask for their fans input on the song and they might actually take it to heart and make changes to their music based off of what their fans say. Curtis, what do you think? Curtis. I sorry, I couldn't unmute myself. <laughs> I'm very sorry. Technical difficulties tonight. Based Holy off shit. of what we're saying, what what are you taking away from this topic? Um, I think what you're saying would make sense, to be perfectly honest. Um, to a degree, I think some people are already doing that as artists. Um Yes, that's Patreon. what I said. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, with the Patreon anyway. So would could that like really be ruled out in the future? For sure. Um I don't really have anything to add. I mean, you said that perfectly, Aaliyah. I don't know what else to say on that part. I'm sorry. I apologize. But one thing I do want to want to talk about just really quickly, just in regards to that, if I may, uh just like I think part of the thing with what you guys are discussing with the K-pop thing, unless my takeaway is totally different than what you guys are taking away from it, is like having too much of like where the product is being dictated to the consumer, like as in the music, right? Um, and I can see that being a concern, um, but at the same time, 
I, I get it. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, under, I understand the model, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, it, it, it could work, but I, I do understand your concerns at the same time. I guess I'll pose, pose a question to both of you, but do you, sure. is there any lingering fear that, you know, everything in culture is being sportified in, in a way that is, uh, you know, kind of like detrimental to both discourse and how, you know, art in the pure sense is supposed to uh, take hold in culture, where I think of the, the big shift that's been happening in sports fandom over the past 10 to 20 years has been switching allegiances from the players to being fans of like what the franchise does and what the GMs do and being like, Oh man, you know, that was a, that was a great contract that we signed that person to. And it's just like how cynical fandom has become in that regard. Like, do you see any of that rubbing off into music? And well, is that any well, long-term concern? Well, that's always kind of been the case though, hasn't it? Because if you're like what you're talking, I like, I'm not a big sports guy, so maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying and it's very well possible. I mean, people do that with labels all the time where they're just fans of the label, or at least it used to be like in the nineties and shit, when we were growing up, it was like people had, like Eric had their certain fans, uh, you know, Roadrunner had their certain fans, people would buy anything from the label. And even still that happens. Right. So I don't know. I, I, I think that does happen to a degree, unless I'm totally misunderstanding what you're saying. But Billy, have you, yeah, have you seen any shift in that type of fandom since, uh, you know, over the past 10 years, like going from the music to thinking more of like all this stuff and like a strictly business aspect? Um, maybe I'm misunderstanding your question because what maybe I would say too. is that what I would say is that I feel like the social relationship between the fans and the members of bands is increasing due to social media and all of that. And therefore people do have allegiances to individual people more than to bands sometimes well, uh, because of their personal labels. connections. Well, hmm? bands and labels, but sometimes yeah. they don't because it, 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 it kind of, I think it depends upon the genre though. Maybe. But I mean, yeah, if people, people like, people like might develop uh, what they feel is a personal connection with a certain singer. And then if that singer gets kicked out of a band unceremoniously, um, they might not like the band anymore. True. But at the same time, I mean, there's, there, there is, I think again, it, it comes back to the style. Like, I don't, I don't know if black metal fans are necessarily, you know, their allegiances to like a certain singer or guitarist or something like really? that all the time. I, I don't, don't think so. I think so. I think really? so. Okay. I don't think. Yeah. Especially Ian's a black metal guy. He would know well, better especially than Especially with, with how many one person projects there are out there. And then anything that well, person I'm talking about does. Bands. I'm talking about bands. Anything that person does will become like they'd be interested in anything that person does. Like I see that a lot, regardless of genre of music, people will develop a, an, an affinity for a specific musician. And then anything they do, they follow that. That seems less to me nowadays. That seems less to me. Well, I'm not old like you, so maybe. Oh, burn. wow. 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 Yeah. Maybe I haven't Jesus seen Christ. it change for the negative. Not old like it. me. And or, and or, I'm too old and I don't see it in my friends. You know, I think that, mm -hmm. like, I'm, and maybe I'm being too, like, introspective about it because that's mm -hmm. kind of how I operate. But I do see that, I would say, in like my scene like power metal oh power metal yeah power metal and melodic metal melodic death metal like those genres i feel like that's 
definitely a thing. Okay, fair. I could see that because you got like the Tobias Samet people and you got like the, uh, I forget the guy from Nightwish's name. Thomas uh, Holopainen. Thank you. And you got like uh, all you. sorts of the like I'm so hey you just called me old so I have to I have to dig back here um I don't know where I was going with this Ian uh did we answer your question well and then there's like the Nightwish Tarya fans and then like yeah. all the different vocalists like people that are very strongly opinionated in one way or another um but anyway am I it was that your question am I actually answering your question Ian yeah I think so I think uh I think uh we can also parlay this into talking about the article that you sent out about Madison Beer, Olivia Rodrigo, and It Factor. Uh, to get us to that track, I guess my follow-up question here would be, how does your fandom change if you are a fan of albums versus being a fan of bands? Ooh. How does the fandom change? Hmm. Well, I don't... I mean, the fandom, that's an interesting, it's an interesting thought because I do think that um, there are a lot of people that don't even realize that they're fans of albums and not the band. Because what will happen is a band will put out an album that doesn't fit the mold of the last album and people will be upset that they changed. But the people who are fans of the band will like it regardless because they'll like it if it's different regardless of whether it's different or not because they love the band and there's like a vibe about the van band that they like so i think i think that fans of bands maybe have a deeper connection to the music or different nah, not to the music though in general it's just like a different connection i think I think it depends because like you can really love a certain album but not be a total fan of the band. Yeah, right? true. Like I really like River Runs Red by Life of Agony is probably one of my favorite albums of all time, but I can't really say I'm a big fan of the rest of Life of Agony's discography. I like it, but it's not like I can't say I really have really listened to anything by Life of Agony much in the last 10 years other than River, River Runs Red. So does that mean I'm not as big of a fan? I don't know. And I think that this is actually far more common in metal than it is in pop music, because I think that generally people like people who are obsessed with Taylor Swift are just obsessed with Taylor Swift. Like they don't care what the different albums sound like. Everything she touches turns to gold. And like, whereas with a metal, I see it a lot where people are like, oh, I like their first couple albums. But then after that, no, they sold out. I hate them or whatever i liked this one album but i don't like where they went from there and i experienced that myself too um with bands where i feel like i just don't connect with their music anymore after x album or whatever i'm not sure does that answer the question yeah i think it's i think it's an interesting thought exercise because how does it change the more toxic elements of being a fan of something if you only are a fan of the material produced as apart from the like the personalities behind that material you know like do you still get upset if a band releases a clunker or not or does it matter 
You know, well, like I haven't cared about suffocation for a long time, but I think suffocation's pierced from within is one of the finest death metal albums ever. Like I'm a fan yeah. of that album. And so the fact that I'm not a fan of the band, but a fan of that album kind of like alleviates some of the band baggage that I would have regarding that stuff, because I'm not like at suffocation's throat being like, how can you just not release another album like Pierce from within? It's like, I got my Pierce from within due to the eternalism in music. It's going to last forever. It's always going to be there for me. It's never changing. It still rules. My relationship deepens with it. Is that a healthier relationship than just me being a fan of the band? I, I think it's, I think it is healthier. I'm going to make a bold statement and say, I think it is healthier to have that relationship with it because it's true that, you know, I've never, I, I would say that as I've gotten older, I've kind of lost the understanding for this kind this idea of, well, how dare you not release a new album that's going to scratch this itch that I have that's going to be exactly the same feeling as this other album when the other album exists like why don't you just listen to the other album it's just it's kind of like this need for novelty at the same time as wanting sameness that I don't think is personally I don't think that that's healthy I think that's like perhaps a manifestation of the constant um stimulus that we're exposed to now but then again these people existed before all of that there were always people that were connected to that were fans like that right like they didn't like they would hate the new album and feel like the band betrayed their fans by putting out a shitty album or whatever so maybe it's not I just talked myself out of it. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the the it's the dichotomy of an artist is like, you know, the artist doesn't necessarily owe fans anything. But then again, on the flip side, the artist kind of owes fans everything. Right. It's it's a dichotomy. It's this this eternal paradox. But the thing that I think I think what artists owe the fans is to be authentic. And if creating an album that the fans, if the fa- creating an album that the fans want is going to cause make force you to compromise yourself as an artist, I think that's where you kind of lose it. And I'm not saying like it kind of depends. It kind of depends on your model that you follow as a band. If you're a more commercial band, and you're more like I'm doing this because this is my career. And I don't really care if the music is a perfect expression of my artistic, deep-seated soul and all of that, I guess then it's different. Maybe you could just function based purely on what the fans want in that case. Well, let me ask you this. I, I have a question on that then. So how do you explain bands like Metallica and Flames who change their sound drastically get a different fan base and then go back to the same sound earlier sound what do you mean how do i explain it well because you're what in my the way i was i was kind of understanding that you were saying is that it's kind of like not being true to themselves if they if they do something like that if they change the model unless i misunderstood what you were saying i'm really more saying like the motivations right 
like okay, it depends fair. on what your motivations are and if you're fair. and like if doing something to like expose yourself to a new fan base is it forces you to compromise your artistic yeah. integrity then that's different than if you want to take a little detour and try a different style and see what happens i guess that's the key question is is, is the integrity there or not right yeah i think that's the key question yeah fair enough that's fair interesting enough. yeah my friend's got a theory that there's only so many bands in metal that have the leeway to be able to release bad albums where iron maiden can release whatever they want they're always going to sell out that tour it doesn't matter but Judas Priest doesn't have the same luxury. Like the Judas Priest album has to be good. It has to has to engage with fans. And uh, I'm just kind of interested in what your two thoughts are on that. Where how do you are you able to escape that ever? And like, does metal even have more Iron Maidens in us? Iron Maidens and Metallica, or like what what can what can other bands do in that case? Like, does there always have to be this fear that the next album has to be the greatest one that you've ever released? My, I don't think, I, I don't really think you can escape it now. I agree. I think that the nature of the way the world is, I don't think that there are bands that come out now that are going to be able to like escape that but i mean what the hell do i know about that i haven't i i'm not in metallica or iron maiden or i don't know anything about that like that kind of requires like such a such such deep philosophical thought about well why are those bands uh able to to do that and and how do you get to that point? And is that even a goal for most artists? I don't even think that it's a realistic goal to have as an independent or an underground band to try to escape that. I think I think that you should always try to have your next album be your best work. I don't think it should be based off of fear, though. I think it should just be based off of a desire to create the best thing that you can and the desire to live up to your potential. Which Iron Maiden usually do. They have been since their reunion. They they're they're most their last last couple weren't as good as the first ones that they did post reunion. But I mean they they are still doing as their best some of their best material I personally think. So that makes sense. The other interesting side of this that I was thinking of recently is if the only thing that is under a band's control is how sick your riffs are do they even need to concern themselves with any of this thought about having an it factor or you know putting themselves out there on social media in fun and interesting ways does any of that matter and if it does matter is that just a consequence of like no label having an A and R department anymore. I think it does matter, and I think I don't know the situation with A and R departments in labels. 
Um, so I don't know what you're talking about. I thought that labels still had a. <laughs> Do you mean they don't actually develop artists like they used to? Yeah, I mean, like A and R is like an extinct thing these days, and it all it kind of like falls back in the artist to make sure that the artist is the one as doing their own A and R. That's a that's been one of the big complaints I've been hearing from uh, pop stars recently. Is just like you know, like I'm a musician. What I do is music. I shouldn't have to be thinking about what TikTok videos I should be making every day. Like that should be something that uh you know a label used to take care of back in the day, and it shouldn't be handed off on me. Like I should only be concerned with making music. And so forcing artists to have this like 360 view of their own uh of doing their own PR for themselves is like it, where where does that where does that put us? And does that take away from, you know, their, what they're naturally good at, which is making music? Uh, it definitely does. And I mean, it, it's like the only reason that I'm able to do all the business stuff for my band is because I'm not a creative member in the band. I don't write the music. I don't write the lyrics. So I'm able to spend all my energy on the business side of things. But like, it's just, it's so draining and it was interesting because i was talking we were talking to craigan for the last episode and he was mentioning all these things that like oh there's social media managers and then there's the booking agent and then there's the band manager and then there's this department at the record label and this department at the record label and i'm like oh shit i'm doing all of that stuff like literally five people's work i'm doing all of that um and it's exhausting and it is i think you know, we're, we're trying to, um, our, our, as artists, we're all trying to keep up as, as best as we can, but, um, yeah, it's draining for sure. And I think that if you don't have people in your band who can do that for you, then you're really, um, up shit Creek without a paddle, you know, <laughs> um, and you really have to find somebody that's passionate about your music who's willing to do that side of things for you. Or you have to be willing to to take on those hats yourself to some degree. And that is just the way that things are. And I don't I'm not saying that it's good, but it is the way things are. And so, like, can you avoid it? Can you avoid doing those things? And and still find and still be able to do what you love. I don't even think, I don't even think that you can. It's kind of a catch twenty two. Because if what you love is creating high quality music, that costs money. And so, how are you going to do that with the limited amount of time that you have in life as a human being? You know, you got to sleep a little bit, and you got to make your money to pay your bills a little bit. So, and. It's 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 a tough situation that we're in right now. Do you think that music is still the most important part of the equation these days? I don't always because there's so many acts out there where the music isn't necessarily quote unquote uh, high quality and you can tell, but it struck a nerve either because of the um, artist connected with the fan base or something else just hit. Um, I mean, I don't think it necessarily is like we got TikTok videos where, uh, you know, Little Nos uh, uh, blew up a couple of years ago just from TikTok. That was and, a great song, though. Well, it was. But at the same time, it was it wasn't even his song that was like the like it was taken from Nine Inch Nails. Right. So I, I don't know why I gave that as an example, but like 
it wasn't even his music and it still blew up and he blew up and all the rest of it. So I don't think it's necessarily the most. Uh, and I think part. I'm thinking of Old Town Road. Are you saying yeah, Old Town something Road. else? No, Old Town Road. Because that, that was taken from Nine Inch Nails. So you, the, the sample was actually, yeah, it was from Nine Inch Nails. Trent Reznor actually won a Grammy due to that. Oh, the sample. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. The little part, do, do that part right there. So where was I going with this before? before when, yeah, not necessarily. I don't think it's necessarily a key point, personally, necessarily. Yeah, I almost feel like um, who you know matters more. But, 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 you can only achieve so much success through that if your musical quality isn't exceptional. You kind of have to have everything to really get to the point of great, great success. Oh. Well, here's here's one point I want to make right here, though, is that, like, I think in a lot of cases, it is the personality involved with the band more more so than the talent. That That's my own opinion. Like, there are bands where where the uh, so what I'm saying, connect. What I'm saying is that you can. You can be a super, super talented artist, unbelievably talented yeah. and making incredible music and nobody will listen to you um, unless you have the right connections and you can be heard. Yeah. But what I'm also saying is that even if you have the outlets to be heard, you'll only be so successful if you're not truly exceptional. Of course. Everybody knows everybody knows those bands that got signed because they had a buddy that was in the AR department or worked as a product manager or something like that. And they don't get that far. They don't. So I guess to tie this all together, in, in our sphere of metal, does it factor matter? Yes. I think it does to a large degree, personally. Um Good examples. Well, there's all sorts of good examples out there, but I mean, like, Electric Cowboy is a good good example of the it factor right there. I mean, they got silly music. It's catchy music, but it's it's silly. It's not deep music. It's not. It's it's stupid music, but it's but it's fun. It's catchy, but it it's they got an it factor right there. Um, it just is what it is, and and there's plenty there's plenty of bands like that where it's not necessarily the greatest artistic statement of the century but they have an it factor another good example is people are probably going to hate me for saying this i know ian's going to hate me for saying this is lorna shore they are not they are a good band they're a very good band but i don't personally think that they are necessarily better than a lot of other deathcore bands out there but they are extremely good but will has an it factor and they took off after he came along he's a very charismatic individual people people like him and I don't think that that band would have taken off if he hadn't been there. Um, there's lots of examples. Tobias Samet's another example of this. Uh, you know, there's all sort. There's all. I think the it factor is is, is a thing personally. So if it factor is important, is that something that you can cultivate, or well, is it just inherent? This is an Aaliyah question. To the person. Yeah, I'm going to make Aaliyah answer this one. I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that because I haven't figured out. I I I don't know if you can because you can't define it factor. That's why it's called it factor. 
you know, you don't know what all goes into it. It's not just charisma. It's not like just these specific recipe ingredients that you can put together and suddenly you have the it factor. I think maybe there are things that you can do to become more that way, but I do think some of it is just you have it or you don't. I think this is true because look at Ronnie Radke. He has the it factor and everybody fucking hates his guts. He's a great example. He fills out fucking stadiums. He's probably one of the most hated people in the industry and he's making probably more money than anybody else. And he's got more hits than anybody. So, yeah. What do you think, Ian? Well, I mean, it's tough because like, I think it's so far out of your control. That's not something that's worth worrying about. I think, again, at the end of the day, the only thing that you can really concern yourself with is the quality of the music and like the sickness of your riffs. So as long as the riffs are sick and the music is really good, I think like, I think you're going to win out eventually. It might take longer for some, but I think cream is always going to rise. But again, as a fan of music and a writer, I'm always going to be the one that says that because I always think that music is going to be the most important part of the equation. My question is when you encounter a new artist from a PR perspective and you notice that they have the it factor, like what is that conversation entail? Is it just kind of like, you got to do this because you have this and do you like steer them in specific directions in order to kind of like help them get that personality out? We generally don't ourselves. Um, Like with the, with the PR aspect, it's a little bit different than trying to steer people. Like usually if a band comes to us, they have their their own idea of how they want to be presented. And what we have to do at that point is we have to make sure that's conveyed to the journalists. Right. So I guess to a degree, yes, we do steer it somewhat, but we have to try to keep it in line with the artist's vision without trying to veer off of that, if that makes sense. Has there ever been a time where you've encountered an artist and they want to project like a serious culty black metal image but they're like the funniest people ever and it's just like you, you just got to tell jokes or interviews we we haven't had it quite like that but we have had it where the band wanted to cultivate a certain image and uh we thought it was stupid but what we did is we wouldn't take them because <laughs> you just can't because you can't win you can't win that so like if, if the band want like for example i actually had a band that wanted to be um positioned in front of more urban and rap oriented type mag I'm not joking magazines, but they were basically like a deathcore band. And I was like, you want to be in like double XL magazine and you want to be put in hip hop things, but you're a deathcore band. And I, I thought it was a joke at first, but they were deadly serious. And they said, well, we think we can cross over. I'm like, well, we're not the fucking people to talk to for this because this is just stupid. Like, I'm not presenting a deathcore band to fucking rap magazines, and we don't handle rap magazines anyway. Well, so. what, what they should have done is gone to a, a rap publisher. Well, they should have, but they weren't even rap. This is the point. Well, like, but, if, but if they want to do a crossover, yeah, I exactly. think what they need to do is go to somebody that exactly. has the contacts that they want, I specifically. I I they're they're going to be the expert on how to position them in front of that audience. My hat's off if they ever did that. I don't think they did, but... Anyways, that's that's my first example I can give you. It's like so like are you asking, do we ever do like A and R and tell people like what they should do? Like, oh, you should do a TikTok on this or you should put this, do more photos of this band member, but like 
you should post more often on social media, like things like that. Yeah, I'm kind of curious if there's ever been an instance where like you notice that somebody has the it factor, but they're just projecting it the wrong way. Well, again, they're projecting it, a way that's like not conducive to how best to sell their band. Well, if if we do notice that we do say something, but it, it's like again, it it comes down to how far can we really steer steer the artist, if you know what I mean. Like, for example, like let's say Aaliyah wanted some advice on how to do something like that. But I'm just saying, I know you wouldn't, Aaliyah, but like let's say she asked me or, or Corinne for advice on how to do something. We would say that, but we wouldn't try to do it in such a way that it stifled what Shield of Wings was was trying to do because they have their own vision of what they want to do. So if she asked for advice, for example, we would say, well, we think you should do this. But if she went like, well, that's stupid, doesn't fall in line with what we want to do. Fair enough. I'm not going to fight it because they're, they're the artists, right? How about this from the other side? Like, have you ever noticed that uh, <clears throat> people in the press have like so wholly misinterpreted what a band's it factor is that like you do not know how they made that jump to their conclusion? um it has happened i can't think of an example off the top of my head but i know it has happened um not necessarily with an it factor but more with like uh where we figured that a band would resonate with a certain type of fan of a genre but it actually resonated with a totally different genre instead um like we like, like we've had it before like you know where a thrash band might more resonate with the death metal crowd just because they have more growled vocals for example but we tag them as thrash or a death metal band resonating more with, uh, again, thrash, for example, or a doom metal band resonating more the different genre. It, it happens, right? But I, I don't know quite if it's happened quite with an it factor, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I had another question for you, and my uh, my COVID blurring just decided to absolutely delete it. Um, hmm. Damn. Yeah, I guess like I guess my uh, my what my questions are leading to here is like because there's so many variables in place when it comes to it factor, and I don't want, I don't mean to circle back around to this again, but as an artist, is this even worth worrying about? I don't think so, personally, because, um, again, like Aaliyah said, the it factor is kind of undefinable. So you either kind of have it or you don't have it. The best thing you can really do is just cultivate your own image and branding as best as you possibly can. And if you do have someone special in the band that does have that it factor, that's all the better. But I, I don't think you can necessarily cultivate an it factor I, I personally don't like there's but there are artists that have it. like blackberry is a really good example he has it but i think I mean, like i think like what you what you just said though is important like you have to keep your eyes open for yeah. it so you, you do i do think you need to think about it even though you can't manufacture it you, you have can't. to be aware yeah. of it 100%. And you also need to be aware of your branding and your positioning, as it were. You know, one of the things that was mentioned in that article was like talking about how each of these other figures has like a very specific image. That's like they're almost a representation of um, an archetype. And 
this other person is just more generic. Like yeah. finding your archetype and centering your branding around that, your imagery and all of that and the way that you present yourself, I think is important. Great. Who in your both your minds are the bands that have the best hit factor currently? And what does that entail? Is it being just being good on social media? Is it being a good interview? Is it doing good videos? Again, it's hard to define, but again, I'm going to go back to Ronnie Radke and everybody's going to fucking hate me for saying this because, I mean, I think he's probably the closest thing to the it factor that there can be just because every everybody hates him, uh, but he still manages to come out on top with the music. Uh, he's done so many stupid things. I think he went to prison, if I'm not mistaken, for, for something stupid, and he's still going strong. I think he got fired from a band, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, you can't really, you can't really define it, but I, I personally think that he's a, and everybody's going to hate me for saying it, but I'm saying it. Well, I mean, other than the bands that you've already mentioned, Curtis, perhaps would be a better question. Okay, you did well, mention do, a few, I did um, mention earlier, a few. And I did mention that was one thing that you mentioned. Um, and Bad Omens is another one that I think has an factor too. Spirit Box. Yeah, Spirit Box, I think it really does. And, um, I think Archspire. Oh yeah, has some of that it it factor as well. They have such a specific, like it's hard to articulate what they represent, but they do represent something so so specific. It's like because they're comedians, they're exceptional musicians, and like it is all it also it's got a kind of magic to it, you know. I think Archspire, um. I think Slaughter to Prevail, 100%. there's something, Alex Terrible has something that a lot of people, like, he just, he makes a lot of people go crazy, so. Chris Franzak's another one as much as everybody hates him, too. How do you feel about Chatpile? I'm not the biggest fan of them, but um, I I don't really, I I, I see how they've taken off and i get get what people see but i don't get it at the same time if that makes sense yeah no uh those i'm just thinking like those guys are so funny on social media oh they are for yeah 100 and i guess another thing that could fit into this you know there was this big kerfuffle a few weeks ago about two mold being on the cover of decibel in t-shirts like how does that all play to this Obviously, okay. Two Mold has it factor because that band has blown up seriously. But does their sartorial choices matter so much in that regard? Oh, wait, I want I want to say one thing about this. Here. Just sorry, Leah. I got I just got to get this off my chest. I only saw two bad comments about that. I think it was a manufactured thing on the PR label side and decibel side, and I think it was fucking brilliant because everybody and their dog came after those two guys and said something, but I literally only saw the two comments and everybody went fucking insane, and I went, that is brilliant. Two Mold probably got on like a zillion uh, people's radars because of that. Um, I know the Toronto show sold out. I was supposed to go to it, but I was fucking not able to. Um, anyways, I, I think it was a PR stunt that was master masterfully played by Albert and... Uh, I think Emily was the other person that was on it. Somebody was on it, I don't remember, but and the band, I think was masterful. Just gotta get that off my chest. 
Yeah. Well, and I think that, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about like, oh, our 10 commandments of band pictures, don't wear band tees and shorts in your band photos. It's like, it kind of only applies to certain genres. And I feel like death metal and thrash metal and like those more um, old school forms of metal, you can kind of get away with that. That's just being yourself. That's just being authentic. That's part of the culture um, in those scenes. And so I think they were just being themselves. I don't, and that's probably actually is branding in a way. So I think we can conclusively say that it factor also shifts by genre and style, right? I mean, uh, my question is like, which genres in metal are like the hardest to have that hit factor? Is there, because I think, I think death metal is pretty low key, low maintenance, but I don't know. Does that obviously, I don't think that uh, that same thing would hold true for like Euro style power metal. Yeah, I think um, things like power metal and symphonic metal are those genres where every element has to be firing on all cylinders. Everything has to be great. Otherwise, people will notice a lot. Um, I think maybe even just anything that involves clean singing primarily, maybe that's where it is because the voice of a band can really affect how people connect to the music so dramatically. And your riffs can be sick and all, but if your singer is kind of meh, people aren't going to like your music. They're not going to connect to it. Like as soon as they hear, they're not going to listen to that music. They'll be like, oh man, that band was really good, except the vocalist kind of sucks. So I'm not going to listen to it. I'll listen to this band that sounds really good and their singer's good. I think that might be the, the factor that makes it more difficult. But that's just my opinion. What do you think, Curtis? I think Aaliyah kind of summed it up pretty good. So I actually don't have anything to add this time. I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you think is like the hardest metal genre to be replacement level in? What do you mean replacement level? Like, uh, like, uh, Baseball has this theory of just a win above replacement where an average player is like a zero. And then if you're above that, then you're better than the average player. It's kind of this way of rating different players. So when I say replacement level, just being like a, a generally competent band. You mean like the musicians in the band, the replacement level? I mean, just in general, like what? Like good uh, enough I, to be like a known name? Yeah, yeah. Because I think there's some genres where it's easier to be replacement level than others. And my example for this would be technical thrash. It is like so hard to be a good, competent technical thrash band because you have to put so many hours on in uh, your instruments. You have to be a good singer. Like you're either like Watchtower or you're not. And the unfortunate thing with technical thrash is that like your audience, your potential audience is like zero. <laughs> It's like one of the cruelest things in music. Like you got to put in your like 20,000 hours to be like a, a total killer guitarist. Like no one's going to listen to your stuff. It's like the most, one of the most masochistic pursuits of metal. So I'm kind of curious from like both of your perspectives, like is there any genre that you think that is very hard to break into right now? 
Um, that's very hard to break into. Well, the only one genre that's really hard to break into, but it's not for the reasons why you're saying, um, right now is deathcore because there's such a glut. There's like a huge fucking glut. Um, death metal seems to be slightly easier because I don't know, people will go listen to some, you know, basement level fucking recording of death metal and think it's the greatest thing still and not really give a fuck. Uh, Deathcore seems to need better production and shit like that. Um, but I think that's the reason why death, it's just because there's so many fucking bands out there right now. Um, other styles, power metal seems to be hard to break into, at least from my perspective. I don't know, know as much as Aaliyah does about the genre, but just from my outside viewpoint, it seems to be harder. But those are the two I can think of off the top of off the top of my head. I was going to say power metal and and symphonic metal. Symphonic um, too, yeah. But I'm in that genre, so of course I'm going to be like, I, I have the hardest time. So, but um, you guys also have a decent <laughs> fan base at the same time. We do, but... we do, we do. Yeah. yeah, and I don't. I I think that the reason why it's difficult is because of that necessity for technical proficiency, high quality production. And like those two things, it's, you have to spend a ton of time practicing and you also have to have the money to put into the production side of things so that it actually sounds good because otherwise it's not going to go anywhere. So I think there may be fewer genres that it's, there may be fewer genres where it isn't incredibly difficult though than for genres where it is incredibly difficult. Like, death metal is a lot easier to get into. Death metal and black metal, I think, are probably the easier ones. But other than that, I think everything else is kind of hard. I don't know. Or harder. Yeah. Maybe Doom isn't Ooh, too bad. No, do, do, Doom isn't that hard to get into. Yeah, there's not hard to get into at all. Stoner Rock seems to be pretty easy for people to get into. It seems like everybody and their dog that fucking wants to do a Stoner Rock record can get make a few sales so well we're um really running late actually so oh. we should probably wrap things up fair i didn't realize what time it was we did start late but um yeah ian what do you have going on that you want to tell the people about before we wrap things up uh i mean not much on my side just uh cruise by cereal gum the last uh, weekday of the month to catch the black market it's pretty much it on mine right on don't um, you have a new Newsletter too that people should sign up for. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to go to plaguerages.substack.com, you can read the newsletter that is severely late. I think uh, I think we're about to get the the all the good stuff that happened in June. I think I'm working on that one right now. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. Right on. Well, anyone who's still listening at this point, thank you for listening. Um, let us know if you have any thoughts on these topics. This is a big deep thinking episodes so i'm curious what everyone has to say about these things and uh yeah until next time make like a bull and throw those horns up if you enjoyed this podcast please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us recommending it to your friends or leaving us a review on your platform of choice thank you for listening to heavy business Brought to you by C-Squared Music.